How are we doing, One Church family? You guys all right? I hope you're wonderful. It's great to have you in the house today. I just want to say that, man, there's so many new faces and new people that fires me up. Uh, and it is cool to have so many people joining us online. Uh, it's great to have everybody give a hand to all the people joining us online. It's great to have you. We love you. And so um, Jeff's, Jeff's dad, he talked about, uh, I, I love the last time he was here, he calls this like his church home away from home. And so he picked up a sticker, one of our stickers. And so on the back of his truck, it says, Go Love. And I just love that he's rocking that in Pennsylvania. It's great to have you joining us online. I just want to say to you that, um, man, if you're new, we sure do hope you feel right at home. We want you to feel loved and welcomed. And we're a big family around here, flaws and all. And I don't know if you have any dysfunctional family members, um, but it's true here. There's dysfunctional people in the house. And so we're not perfect people, but uh, something we say that everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, anything's possible. So it is really great to have imperfect people in the house, including me, and it's an honor to get to serve and love Jesus alongside of you. So um, before I get into my sermon, I want to talk about the last couple of weeks. I'm really proud of our teaching team. Uh, For me, it's important that this house is built on Jesus alone that he's the rock, that he gets all the glory. And so it's important to have different voices. And sometimes it matters what you say, but it also matters who says it. And so to have the idea of authority and submission to authority uh, under, under hard and cruel men that are above you, it was great to have Pastor Kyle, PK, brought the word on that. that. And he did a great job about uh, learning to stand down, right, and walk under authority uh, in respect, and so it was beautiful. And then last week, uh, the the person that preached was gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, woo! Uh, and she she talked on a really hard subject. She spoke with this tenderness, but also with authority. And you know, uh, it's one thing for me to come in and say, "Okay, uh, women, here's how you you submit to men," right? Uh, and, and you know what? Here's the deal. I'm 51%, you're 49%, right? And I've heard people have used that this week against their spouse, like, hey, I'm 51, all right? You're just 49, which you missed the point completely if you're, if you're doing that. However, she, she brought this authority and this anointing on a really hard subject, and she, she taught us what it looks like in defining marriage roles inside of a, a godly relationship that's submitted to the Father. And I, I was really proud of her, and so... I want to talk about that for just a second because um, in my humble opinion, I'm not biased at all, uh, there's nobody that can speak with more authority uh, about how to be a wife because I think she's the best wife and, and, and she's the very best mom that I've ever met. And so uh, this year, um, I'm really proud of my wife. We've been through a lot of counseling. I'm going to be a, a little bit honest and raw with you. Uh, this year, we've... we've uh, done a lot of work internally, and I've watched my wife turn into a different person. Like literally, we, it's like we had an old operating system, and now we, we have a brand new system to learn how to talk to each other and love each other and serve each other. And so um, she's different. She's different now, and I'm getting used to it, and I like it because one of the things that she does all the time now is like speaks words of affirmation over me. And I'm like, oh, wow, I, I thank you. And it's, just, it's wonderful to see uh, her, her change in such a powerful way. Another thing that's happened is she lost her mind. Um, she started running. And I don't think that's from God. <laughs> but um, she's entered this uh, half marathon. It's up at the Silver Comet on October 29th, just a few days. And so not only that, she also entered another full marathon. Uh, in Tampa, Florida, that's on her birthday in, in February, and so she's just gone plum crazy, right? She's running all the time, and she's like, yeah, I'm just doing seven miles today, just seven, okay? And so um, I, I've, I've watched her, you know, like turn into beast mode, and not only that, she also um, got her, her real estate license, and like she's killing that as well, so it's like I'm married to a different human and I'm having a blast in that. There's more confidence in her than I've seen in a long time. And that was evidence uh, at a recent marriage retreat that we went to at Windshape. And so we were challenged to do this high ropes course. And so we, we were up, you know, up in the air on these little tiny wires, like 4,000 feet in the air. And um, 
scared for my life. I, I'm the adrenaline junkie, and literally I'm like, <laughs> like I can't hardly stand there. The whole wire's shaking. She's like, would you calm down? I'm like, I'm trying. I'm just scared out of my mind. And she was the strength in that, which is, I'm, I'm telling you, she does not do heights. And it's like, you know, fetal position crying kind of heights is what it does to my wife. But uh, new life, right? I can't explain it, but there's something that's happened in, inside of us. But I'll tell you, through, through all that, and, and not only that, guess what? She did today. She led worship. And so she hasn't done that for over, like, decades, a long time. And she used to be in this traveling band. This was like a quartet of all women. It was called Unveiled Faces. And if you are in a really small church in northwest Oklahoma 20 years ago, she's incredibly famous in those small churches. She's big time. Big time. And so it's just great to see her using her gifts, right? And, and coming alive and having confidence to do things and to, to live with authority uh, as God would ask her to. So here's why I say all of that. There's a, there's a reason for, for all of this. Um, sometimes intimacy is a lot of work. I don't know if you knew that. Intimacy is a lot of, we never drift. Like It's not like, I, oh, I'm just becoming more and more intimate. I can't explain it, right? That never happens. It takes great intentionality with one another's heart to pursue each other, to go on dates, to make time for trips, to do a marriage retreat. And we've done a lot of that this year. And through the counseling that we've done, it's helped us get through some stuff. Anybody here going to be honest with me and say, I'm trying to get through some stuff today? Um, here in Peachtree City, sometimes we don't like to talk about the fact that we're getting through some stuff. But every single one of us are imperfect people that have sin in our lives, and we're trying to get through some stuff. And I'm here to tell you today that if you will show up in faith, and you'll do the hard work and talk not only to the people around you, but also talk to God, guess what? Not only will you get through, but we serve a God that brings breakthrough. Does anybody here believe that we serve a God of breakthrough this morning? All right. So that, that's exactly what I'm going to be talking about today. Peter, Peter, man, think about him. He understood what it looks like to really have to push through, you know, his failures. He, he had denied the person he loved the very most with, in front of the world publicly. He denied him three times. And now he's like trying to reinvent himself. He's trying to become a new person and not walk in the shame and not walk in, in the pain of his failure. He's embarrassed. And, and so Yeshua, Jesus, he actually says to him, you, you, Peter, he calls him Petros. You're the rock. You're the rock. And, and this guy was reinvented because of Jesus. And he, he became one of the most significant voices and leaders of the largest movement of all time. And so he wrote this letter, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, uh, to help us, it, not just help the Gentiles and encourage uh, people that are in modern-day Turkey, which was Asia Minor, but he's, he's telling them, I want to encourage you. I know you're scattered. I know that you're, you feel displaced and you're scared of what could happen uh, because of all of the unrest and, and the turmoil that's happening in society back then. That uh, he's under trial, and they feel scared, which is similar to today, right? But he, he had some real threats. It was unlike here in America. There was a man by the name of Nero, and Nero was one of the most evil men and the greatest villains towards the Christian church of all time. Um, he, this guy, he actually um, murdered his mom. Okay, anybody done that? Don't, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Nobody will sit by you in church anymore. Or, and he also murdered his first wife. And some say his second wife. Um, he's also guilty of being the guy that most people charge that actually martyred Peter and many of the disciples. His pastime was to like see Christians be burnt to a crisp. He, he loved, he loved to actually... Um, cause people to be fearful of, of him and the darkness that was in, within him. So there's this serious heat, and people are fearful for their lives. And so when, when P 
Peter's talking to these people, you can imagine how frail they are, how scared they are, right? There's so much unrest in society, possible like death is looming and glooming, right? That's what they're living in. And so you have to know that Peter felt that personally. Peter knew who he was. He knew that he was one of the main leaders of this, you know, movement of the followers of the way. And he knew his life was, was in very much danger. Nero wanted Peter dead. And so he's not making this letter be about him, you know. He's not like, you guys, you know what's happening to me. And I heard so-and-so said this and he found where I'm at. He's not making it about himself, is he? He wrote this letter to edify the church. His life is for other people. And he's trying to say, hey, hey, I'm going to tell you who you are, okay? Calm yourself, be at peace, walk and rest. Let me tell you who you are. And he goes through all of these things that we've been talking about the last several weeks for a month now. And he's like, hey, remember, we're family. We're, we're together. We're a body, right? You've been set apart. And we've been given a new hope. Remember, you have a new identity we are chosen people. Not, not only that, you are a holy nation. And, and guess what? You're also a royal priesthood. So we're in this world right now. We're passing through. And we're aliens and strangers, but we are not of this world. Well, this world and its desires, yeah, they're fleeting. They're passing away. But we're temporarily in the world, but we're not of it, right? We're actually citizens of heaven, right? And he says that's, that's our future hope. Our future is not here. So since, since this world's not our home, guess what? You, church, are going to stand out. You're going to live very differently than the world around us. For, so for those of you today who are followers of Christ, what does that mean for you right now? It means that you're going to have different values and morals. It means that you're going to have a different belief system it means that we are going to be different in the way that we live as husbands and as wives and the way that we parent. We're going to be different in the way that we talk and the way that we speak, right? Because we are not here for our own benefit, but for the world around us. We're here to serve and we're here to bless and we are here to be an example of the love and the hope of Christ Jesus. Amen. We're in the world, but we're not of it. This isn't our home. And in this world, this is what we're going to talk about today. There will be pain and there will be suffering to get through. But we have hope that we serve the God of breakthrough, right? Anybody ready to hear the word of God today? Okay, today in chapter 4, we're going to talk about how to really live for God. He helps us see the significance that no matter what happens in this life, we can learn to rejoice in our sufferings. And that's weird, right? How can we rejoice in the midst of our pain and trials? Well, it helps us see that the significance of rejoicing is that it matters more what we're becoming. And we're trying to become more and more like Christ. So my sermon today is called, We Live Different. We Live Different. And I'd like to start by asking everybody here a question that I want you to really think about. Here's the question. What are you living for? Think about your week, the past month. What are you living for? He dives right into this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. So let's, let's get started. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, he says, arm yourselves. Everybody say, arm yourselves. And what are you arming yourself with? Well, you're arming yourself with the same attitude arming myself with attitude because whoever suffers in the body is, are you ready, done with sin. And as a result, they, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for what? For evil human desires, but rather we live, we live for the will of God. Peter starts this passage by reminding us that the Messiah suffered, that he came here and part of his life was actually to show us that he understands us, that he felt our pain, that he can connect with, with us. And he reminds us that in the midst of that pain, don't forget what you're living for. In the midst of your suffering, 
let's remember to, as James, Peter's friend, said, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kind. Because those trials, they create perseverance and your faith gets stronger. So, uh, I don't know how this happens other than the power of Christ, but when we live in Christ and we live completely for Him, guess what? He somehow changes our desires. That word desire is yearning, it's longing, it's, it's what we uh, crave. And sometimes when I get to heaven, I'll be like, God, I think you, you gave us too much of that. Like, I feel like I'm this little um, Volkswagen body, right? And my, my desire engine is like a jet engine. Like, it's too, too strong, right? Like, you gave us these desires, and sometimes it makes us do evil things, and it's what causes so much struggles in the world. Why, why did you make us that way, God? Why do we have so much desire? Why? It's not that we're a bad design. God created us perfectly, and He wants us to actually live with the tension of walking in the cravings of our flesh and not feeding that, instead silencing that and longing and yearning and craving God more. Do you want God more? What, what is it that you're living for? See, when we have real sh- challenges and suffering, sometimes our purpose is learned in that suffering And that changes our mind. And our mind actually helps us live this focused life where we ultimately want to live only and always for our creator rather than cheap human fleeting desires that are of the flesh. And our mind helps us understand that if we will will walk in obedience to God, that that obedience trumps and overpowers all of our human desires. And some of you might be walking in here today going, man, that seems impossible. I don't know how I overcome. If you knew, Blake, how much I love to eat the entire bag of chips. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I eat the whole thing of Oreos. My desires there, you don't understand. Right? Or you will feast online looking at things you shouldn't be. Are your desires causing you to turn and walk away from God, or are your desires making you crave God more and more and more? Only you can answer that. So Peter is telling us that we have to live with this, this different yearning, a different craving. And somehow those cravings in the midst of our suffering, it causes us to be on mission and we live with this same attitude as our Savior. And this is, this is what Peter is telling us to use to actually like arm ourselves, to be ready as a warrior, to be ready for battle because this is war and it's not to be taken lightly. You ever heard somebody, let's talk about attitude. You ever heard somebody uh, say, man, that dude's got an attitude. You ever heard that? Like somehow that dude woke up in a certain kind of way. Maybe you woke up beside your spouse today and you, you're like, oh, that's, that's who I'm looking at today. You're going to be in a certain kind of way, right? Don't, don't elbow anybody, right? Or maybe if you've been a parent for more than five minutes, you know, sometimes your kid just wakes up and you go, whoa, you got an attitude, don't you? You know, a certain kind of way today. Well, I, I think that that's what's supernatural is that when we make the choice to actually walk with an attitude that's a different kind of way. That's not the normal desire of being grumpy and grumbly. But instead, in the midst of that feeling, what we feel, I'm going to go, I might feel a certain way, but I'm not going to walk that way. I'm going to choose in my mind to walk differently. I'm going to arm myself. I'm going to actually bring heaven to earth by having the same mind as Christ. That kind of attitude is different. Right? It exudes joy. All of a sudden, with that kind of attitude, you walk into the room and there's hope because you showed up with the glory of God on you and now people understand what love looks like. Right? Our presence should, should bring heaven to earth. We should like, show the world, like I'm, I woke up today and I put my armor on. You know what my armor is? It's a good attitude. 
I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm going to represent God by, by showing the world what his love looks like. And then Peter, he, he reminds them, like, remember how you used to live? Remember what your past looked like? And you lived for all the wrong things. And in verse 3, he says, you've, come on, church, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. You remember how you used to look and act. and You know what your mind used to think about, right? You remember how you used to be. You, you were living in debauchery, and lust, and drunkenness, carousing, orgies, and detestable idolatry. And those people you used to hang with, your party friends, they, they're, they're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living. And because of that, they make fun of you. They heap abuse on you. But let me tell you, they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge both you, church, the living, and the dead. For, for this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, spiritually dead, the walking dead, if you will. So that why? They might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body. But you, you live according to God in regard to the Spirit. So Peter's going back to an original thought in chapter 1 where he said, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And he's coming back to that thought now and he's unpacking it with a, a list. And he's saying, hey, you, you remember the way you used to be back then, right? It was awful. You remember how you thought it was a party and you showed up like, yeah, let's go, man. Let's drink a whole, you know, 12-pack and let's party our faces off. Ooh. But you really weren't having the time of your life. You just, the facade of what this world actually looks like. Some of you are like, man, he's really good at that. <laughs> I think he partied. <laughs> You're right, I did. I'm not proud of that. So he gives this list that's not exhaustive, but you get the point of what he said, right? He reminds them of the desires that we used to live for. And he actually, that word um, lust is actually the word pornea in Greek. And if you're struggling with that right now, and I think it's a pandemic in the world worse than ever before, because you can do it in silence and be mesmerized by pixels on a screen of an adult industry that is worth billions of dollars, and it's destroying the hearts of our teenagers, and it's making our families live in complete lust, and their wives feel like they're an object, and it's, it's horrible what happens, and I, I feel like I'm always helping families walk through this. And, and it's, it's serious. It's war. And not only that, um, when he, t he brings up this word debauchery, it means, it means to actually um, live in a way that you have excessive, excessive uh, lust, excessive uh, sen sensory overload. It's like you're walking in this, this constant pleasure that you're trying to find. And I see that so rampant right now. There's carousing. And then he uses the word orgies. Do you guys know what that is? I'm just preaching the Bible here. I'm sorry. Nobody's falling asleep in church today. <laughs> uh, here's what I believe about the past and about what, when we look at the darkness that used to be inside of us. It should make us, as followers of Christ, in time, slowly go. Those desires also make me feel detestable to, to those things. I, I become more and more distant, right, to what I used to be. Because the good news of the gospel has the power to transform and change us. At least that's what happened in my life. Maybe, maybe you remember how uh, when you were partying, you had all these friends that were living a certain way. They're all surprised at what you've become. And they're shocked at how much you've changed. I've done a lot of work in recovery and helped people be set free from addiction. And I'm telling you, I, I, I love it when I see friends or I hear about people from your past or my own past when they say, hey, bro, like what happened, man? We used to like kick it. We used to like have the blast together. And now like you're different, right? And just like this text, they, they say they're surprised that you won't join them 
anymore. And I'm telling you, it's a big deal. It's a massive victory when you stand up and say, yeah, you know what? I I don't do that anymore, so get back, Jack. I'm choosing new friends because you actually helped me walk in darkness, and I, I don't need that anymore. I'm a different man now. And so they feel convicted by your presence because you're walking in the light, and your presence actually makes them feel like they're doing something wrong just because you showed up, right? And so it's funny how Jesus, he, he changes our desires, right? And you don't, you don't look back and go, I wish I was still that. You go, I, I'm so glad I'm not that, right? I'm so glad I don't live in that anymore. You'll never meet an addict that says, man, life is just amazing. I'm so glad I'm high every day, right? You, you always hear, I've ruined my family I've destroyed my children. I'm living just for my own desires and I wish so bad I could be set free from this, right? But I truly believe that Jesus can and will change our desires because he's a God of restoration. He's a God of redemption and he's a God who takes things that are old and he makes them new and beautiful. He takes ashes and he turns them into beauty. That's what our God does. Come on. And so... All of a sudden, you want to live for his glory. You don't want to live for your own glory anymore. We wake up. Our spirits are no longer spiritually dead. Instead, they come alive. And you wake up to your purpose. We're we're no longer walking around uh, without purpose. Instead, we want to attack the day. And our purpose in life changes. And we live by the Spirit. We live in the power of the Spirit. And every second, you, you lean into like, I'm present right now in this room. What, what's my job, God? There's an urgency and there's a readiness and there's a preparation to stand guard like a warrior putting on the attitude of Christ, arming myself with the mind of Christ. And then, and then he goes into like, oh yeah, and since we're talking about how urgent you, you need to be, he says, the end of all things is near. In verse 7. And he's talking about the fact that, hey, people get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. He says, are, are you paying attention that this world's fleeting and it's going to pass away and just like this fast? You need to be alert. You need to have a sober mind. And why do you do that? So that, Why? You may pray. See, Peter, Peter is saying, don't be caught off guard, man. Keep a watchful eye. Live expectantly. Know that the enemy wants to devour you, so, so stay sharp. Be alert. Like, live as if you're, you're sober, both in body, mind, and spirit. Live sober. Why? So that we can pray. The way I like to say this is if we live properly, then we can pray powerfully. Maybe, maybe you need to be reminded that the reason why you're on planet Earth, maybe you forgot what the will of God is in your life, maybe you forgot your purpose, you're here to know God and make Him known, that's it. You're here to love God vertically and love His people horizontally, that, that's your calling. That's His will for your life. And so today, maybe you need to recognize that what matters most is your connection to the heart of God. And maybe you've experienced in your life that sometimes when we live in sin, it makes it hard to pray, doesn't it? You, you realize, I, I, I'm not, I, I can't, I don't want to worship, I can't talk to God and maybe right now you walked in this room and you're like, that's exactly where I'm at, Pastor. It's hard to pray right now. Can I tell you, can I encourage you, don't stay there. If you blew it and you sinned, make the time that you sin to the time that you confess, make that shorter and shorter. When you mess up, don't wallow in it. That's what the enemy wants. He wants to tell you what you're not. He wants to destroy your identity in Christ. And I'm telling you, just get up. Say, Father, would you clean me? Would you wash me? Would you redeem me? Would you restore me? And he will in an instant. If you'll just say, I, I'm, I'm done living for myself. Don't, don't wallow in it. Ask Christ to forgive you and allow him to clean you so that he can stay connected to your heart. What matters is that you stay in communion, that you stay talking to the Father, 
that you say, I'm, I, I repent. I'm going to turn from my wicked ways. See, when we live in a way that does His will and we honor His word, you know what uh, James said? He said that your prayers are powerful and effective. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and it's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And his word penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And you know what it does? You ready? It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. You ever read the word of God and just started praying? Like, God, I, I need this right now. This word was for me. My heart's being judged by the spirit of God that's found in the word of God. And so I think we, we need to realize today that you're not left alone to fight on our own. We have today right now the power of the Spirit in us. If you've given your life to Christ and surrendered to Him and made Him the Lord over your heart, then you're walking in the power of the Spirit right now and we have the Word of God. And the Word of God is alive. And it helps us breathe. It help, helps us have better judgment of our own heart and it helps us see and understand the attitudes and the bad thoughts and it helps our heart be in right standing with our Savior. And, and we also have one more thing. We have each other. We have the body of Christ and the body of Christ actually helps us see each other. We have believers to help us stand and, and that's exactly what Peter dives into in verse 8. He says, above all, everybody say above all. In Greek, the word all actually means all. I don't know if you knew that. He says, above all, above all, love each other, what? Deeply. Because love does something. Love actually covers over a multitude of what? Sins. And out of the flow of love, guess what comes next really fast, actually, is hospitality. We start to love everybody equally. Hospitality is, is what we naturally give, and it says that we don't, we don't do that for one another by grumbling. It says without grumbling, right? You don't go, I'm going to have them over to the house, but I hate them. <laughs> they get on my everlasting nerve, and I don't want to hear them talk. But I'm still going to be the hospitality, right? No, we love, and it's just an overflow of our heart. People come over, and you, you bless them, right? Each one of us should use whatever gift you have to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in all of its various forms because we're the priesthood of all believers and we all bring different gifts to the table. And then it says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. That's convicting. And then he talks about serving. He says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, not in your own strength. So that in what? Some things? Oh, no. In all things, in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And I love that this text says that above all, above all, love each other deeply. And then he helps us see that when we cover people with love, it doesn't just change the world around us, it changes us. When we cover people with love, it helps us start to see them how God sees them. We start to forgive, and we start to heal, and it helps bring restoration. How, how do we know that? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Let's do this. I want you to think about somebody in your life that's done something egregious. They've, they've done something that's horrible. They sinned. Maybe you think of a certain person right now and, and you're appalled at the fact that they did that thing. Maybe it's somebody that's public and their sin is known by the entire world like Monica Lewinsky who's forever known by the shame of a foolish decision she made in her 20s. Maybe today you, you have been the one that someone sinned against you and you're having the hardest time to see them in any other way than what they actually did. Maybe they cheated in their marriage. Maybe, maybe they did something horrible to a child. 
love covers those sins. And when we walk in the love of God, we shouldn't walk around and see people only for the sins that they committed. We should see them as a child of God, created in the image of God, who is forgiven by God. And if our Father God can forgive, then we should too. And so, when we do that, and we see people as a child of God, as forgiven and walking in His grace, we, we actually live out what we find in Proverbs ten twelve. This is where this verse comes from. It says, hatred stirs up strife, but love, love covers all offenses. And so the way I want to talk about that today is like this. We come into the world and we're creating the image of God and we're, we're seeing and reflect His goodness and His grace and His power and His love. And you can't look at a baby and not see the Creator. When we see a, a little brand new creation that was made by God, formed in the womb, knit together, this perfect child, we, we see them and go, wow, God, you're amazing, right? If you can't see... God in creation, then, then I, I don't know how you could ever see a baby and go, that was created by some evil force, right? It's, it's a good father who made a good child. It's perfect. But then we come into the world and we start to, you know, do dumb things, live ignorantly. We start making bad decisions. And our identity starts to twist. We're distorted and we see an evil image of ourselves. And not only that, the world around us confirms that and tells us, you know, once a liar, always a liar. Uh, you, you know what you did. You're, you're a sinner. Look at your filth, right? And we have a tendency to not only remind people of the horrible thing that they did, but we hold it over them. And we actually cover them with their sin. Why do we do that? We, we look back and see only their sin, but God... If they've asked for forgiveness and they've walked in repentance and they've you know, paid the price of their sin, why can't we ever look back and see them in a new way? And so that's, that's what I think the Lord is saying. He's like, don't you see, I, my blood came here to cover the sins of all the darkness of the world. And when you look at them, you need to now look at me because my blood redeems. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by his blood. His blood, it actually covers over a multitude of sins. And in 2022, I think we need to stop stirring up hatred. Come on. We need to stop stirring up hatred and we need to get very serious about forgiving offenses. Not only are we asking for God to forgive us vertically, but we need to get serious about forgiving offenses horizontally. And the reason for that is because hatred and bitterness causes you to drink poison and wish it on someone else. That's not what I want for anybody. We can't walk in bitterness and, and act like we have the love and the forgiveness of God. To be reconciled is to reconcile. That's what we're called to do. I'm not saying that if you've been offended and something hor horrific has happened to you, that you just allow yourself to become a doormat and continue to be walked on. If you've been abused, leave. If people are beating you and hurting you, that's never the will of God. But I am telling you that in your heart, you don't need to store up bitterness because that'll kill you. And so God's reminding us that when we operate in the love of God, he's gonna show us what our gifts are. And he's going to show us how we can help change humanity and bring heaven to earth. And he's going to say, this is what I've given you, and now I want you to use that to serve. And sometimes it's because of our pain that we're already, we're like given a purpose, right? It's like I didn't want cancer. I had that pain of cancer, but now my job is to love on cancer patients. I, I didn't know that was going to be my ministry, right? But sometimes our suffering is what sends us into the world with all of a sudden we have this newfound passion. We have a new desire to bring healing, right? And so then 
uh, hospitality becomes natural when the love of God is flowing from us. We'll, we'll want people in our homes. And when they come into our homes, we'll feed them. And we'll gra- graciously bless them. We'll be generous. We start to pour out our love on them. And we help grow other disciples, right? And then Peter steps on everybody's toes and he really convicted me this week when he said that when we speak, we should speak as if it's the very word of God. Man, so this weekend I said something to my daughter Montana that I'm embarrassed about. And I said it playfully, right? I was trying to make a joke, um, but, but it was condescending and it was sarcastic. And it, it really hurt her feelings. And so I immediately knew I was wrong, right? The spirit just went, hey, why'd you say that? And the room kind of went, and so because I have a family that all walk in the power of the Spirit, they all called me out. So not only did did I get to hear it from the Holy Spirit, (laughs) but I also heard it from my wife and all my kids. They step all up in my business. And so I, I was like, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I gave her a hug. And I said I was sorry. And then the next morning, I woke up and sent her a couple of texts to let her know that I really meant it. And, and that's what it looks like to love deeply. That's what it looks like to say, I, I'm going to actually let you know that I mean this. It's not just cheap. I'm sorry. Right? It's, it's real. I, I repent. And so thankfully that she doesn't remember me for that one sin, right? She, she's forgiven me and her love has covered over the sins of my big fat mouth. Anybody have a big fat mouth that you need to say you're sorry for sometimes? This is free. I'm going to give this to you right now. Um, sometimes I heard my pastor friend recently say that sarcasm is the native tongue of a critical spirit. Am I stepping on any toes yet? Sometimes we hide behind sarcasm. And we act like we're playing, but really there's truth to what and why you said it. Sarcasm can pierce so deep. And I I saw that this weekend and I immediately knew I was wrong. You could also say that sarcasm is the cheapest form of self-praise. It's me going, ah, sometimes we use use. Words like that are sarcastic to speak highly of ourselves by tearing other people down. Why, why do we do that? Somebody said to me this morning, they said, sarcasm is really anger that is dressed in a clown suit. What if we actually spoke like we were speaking on behalf of God? That the words that come out of our mouth are the words of God. That there's power in our tongues. You guys believe that? We we either speak life or we're speaking what? Death. You want to speak death over your family and over your kids, over your wife? Careful what you speak. Let's live different. Here at one church, we speak life over one another. Anybody with me? So he continues in verse 12. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you. It's come on you for a reason. What is it? To test you. And don't act like this surprise is like something strange were happening to you. But, but in the midst of this fallen and broken world, rejoice. Rejoice in as much that you participate in the sufferings of Christ to become like Christ so that you may be what? Overjoyed. When his glory is, it's really hard to go, yeah, that's, I'm going to be suffering and have pain and it's going to be awful and I'm going to be happy. Is <laughs> there pure joy? Right? It seems like crazy talk. It's weird to say I'm going to actually be overjoyed when I'm in the midst of this pain. And he says if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, guess what? You're blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I want to rest in that. 
The spirit of glory, when suffering comes, it's all right. The spirit of glory and the spirit of God is resting on this guy. See, it says if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Right? He's saying that if you did something dumb and you were walking in ignorance and you were actually sinning, don't think that you're being you know, abused or you're suffering because you did all the dumb things. Like, you're going to reap what you sow. He's, he's talking to the church right now. And he's actually saying that, however, if you suffer as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, this is one of the three times that the word Christian is used in the New Testament. He says, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. You bear the name of God. Yahweh, Yeshua, you represent that. And then he goes back to the urgency of the end of all things are near. He says, for it's time for judgment to begin. And where does it begin? Right here, with God's household. And if it begins with us, think about the loss. What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So he's saying it's hard, it's hard to walk in purity. It's hard to walk in obedience. It's hard for the righteous to be saved. So we have to be on mission to recognize that there's a lost and dying world and we have to help them understand by showing with the same attitude and the same heart and the same spirit of God in, in the world, right? And say, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Say commit. I'm going to commit to doing good. In these last verses, Peter's driving home the final point of suffering. And he's saying your, your suffering serves a purpose. We, we rejoice in the fire. That's a weird thing. It's fiery ordeals happening all around us, and yet we're going to be overjoyed. I'm going to be blessed because of that fire, right? You bring on the ordeal. Because here's what I recognize. It's just temporary. I said, I'm, not, I'm home. I'm not home. I'm not holding on to this life. This life is just a test, and it's going to be over very soon. We're currently in a very hostile and volatile world, and there's economic gloom and doom that the whole world is talking about. It feels like there is collapse. The world's gone crazy. We're currently in the fire, and I'm going to ask you again, what are you living for? Is that fire helping refine you and purify you? Or are you just having all this fear and worry and stress? Because it comes down to how you answer the question, well, what, what, what are you here for? Are you doing what your very small life, it's going to be over in two seconds, is all about? Or are you missing the point? Because if your whole existence is just for your own comfort and to fulfill your own pleasures and your own desires, guess what? When this world and your stuff and your bank account and your car and your pretty house is all gone, you have no world. And Peter's saying, you don't belong here. You're an alien. You don't act like, you don't talk like, you're, you're different. But when we place our lives in the hand of the one who holds the entire world, then we find rest right? I walk in his shalom. I have his peace and his goodness is all over me. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God is resting on me and resting on you. We need to live like there's no tomorrow. That's what he's saying. We, we live like we're ready for his return because the hour is drawing near. We don't know when. Let's not live a fearful and timid existence. Let's rest in his power. Let's walk in his power. And I love that the thought that he has where he says, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Amen. Do you believe that? You walking in the fact that I bear the name of Yahweh, the great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who will never not exist. He's the God that who was and is and is to come. He's the God that's all about the glory of God being revealed through us on planet earth. I was thinking about that. I was reminded this week of my all-time favorite quote by image Gur William Gurnell. He said, it is the image of God that's reflected in you that so enrages hell. It is this at which the demons hurl their mightiest weapons. You, church, are an image bearer. 
You reflect the glory of God. The glory, Christ in me, is the hope of glory. And it's inside of me, inside of you. Have you ever thought about the fact that you reflect the glory of the creator of the world? Let me say it like this. Let's not neglect who you reflect. You're here to reflect God. That's the only reason. And and that's what the enemy wants to destroy. He'll do anything he can to help you not walk in the hope of glory. You have power over the schemes of hell. Don't let him destroy you. He's a punk. He's a weasel. His only job is to deceive. And you might not understand it right now. Maybe you're living in a serious, fiery ordeal. Your marriage is falling apart. Your finances are collapsing. But have you ever considered, have you ever thought about the fact that God, our loving Father, has allowed you to go through the pain because He wants to show you a new breakthrough? Maybe you need to see that He's helping you grow. He's helping you endure. But church, if you're living in rebellion, that judgment starts here. If you're living in darkness, it starts right here. It's turning our face away from God and walking in all kinds of dissension and hatred and anger and sexual immorality and lust and impurity of every kind. Don't you see that if we continue to do that, His judgment is coming. And He's starting right here in the church. It's not real popular today to speak about the wrath of God and His judgment in the church in America. But I need to tell you, I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm not here to make you feel good. I'm going to speak truth. And I'm going to speak it with boldness and authority. And so my question again, are you committed to live your life completely for Him or not? It's not a game. Only you can answer that question. It's, it's, it's not like we should be like, oh, this, I can't believe that this world is like this. It's so evil. I don't understand. Wow, I didn't expect this. I'm so surprised. It's so strange. No, it's not. It's, it's actually... Like, we live in a world that's dominated by the prince of darkness. And he's evil, and our days are numbered, and we can't act dumb and go, I, 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 I didn't know. It's so weird. We live in a fallen world, and people are actually controlled by the prince of this world. And, and let me tell you, that guy, Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him, he, he has a very evil agenda, and he wants power. He's always wanted power, and he's wanted our hearts, and he's corrupting this generation, and he's doing it in plain sight. He's not hiding. He's the great deceiver. His native tongue is to lie. His game is deception, and it always has been. So you better believe that he has some power while he's here, and it says that he has power over the air. So I'm going to get a little crazy right now. He's trying to tell a vision And his, his way of doing that is by using channels. And he uses a medium. The singular form of medium is media. He uses social media to what? To do this broadcast. What's he casting? He's casting a spell. And he wants people to live with this spiritually dead and they don't know it. You want to really get woke? It's when you wake up to the living God who breathes life into us and sets us free from the bondage of sin and death. And he helps us know that there's freedom because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We no longer walk in fear. We no longer walk in timidity. We walk in the power and the boldness of the living God. You can call me some crazy conspiracy theorist, but did you hear about the new TV show that's coming out? It's coming out on FX and Hulu. It's called Little Demon. And if you look that show up and you read the description of what it says, it says, 13 years after being impregnated by Satan... A reluctant mother, Laura, and her antichrist daughter, Chrissy, attempt to live an ordinary life in Delaware, but they're constantly thwarted by monstrous forces, including Satan, who yearns for custody of his daughter's soul. 
Oh. So, so, man, that's pretty out in the open, right? And if I'm looking at that, I'm just going to go, I'm not surprised. <laughs> that's what he does. And it's just out in the open. We can see it. So, so if I'm, I'm looking at that, I'm, I'm not going to go, wow, huh, crazy. Satan's going after our hearts. He actually wants our soul. And you know, he's coming after our children. He wants our youth. So Peter's saying, come on, man, let's be alert. Let's have a sober mind. Let's be ready. It's war. How do we respond when something bad happens, when we're blindsided, and we have this fiery ordeal? Maybe that, maybe that happened because maybe the thing that, that, that happened in our lives is God saying, hey, I'm knocking on your door. You home? What do you do when the unexpected happens? When chaos breaks out? Maybe it's an accident or you lose your job. Maybe, maybe you have complete loss of all your finances and maybe somebody lied to you and the vows were broken and maybe it is financial ruin and maybe it's a health problem or or even death. These kinds of things, they create questions and doubts, but sometimes it's those questions and doubts that turn us back to look at the face of God and say, I repent. I'm sorry. I need you. I need you. I need you, God. I need you. And so if God's using those horrible things to wake us up to who we're supposed to become, then praise God for the horrible things. Praise God that that there's disaster and horrible suffering that happens in my life so that I will walk in the love of God and I'll turn back to His beautiful face. Sometimes it takes brokenness to help bring healing and restoration. And so, yeah, the world's broken and it's dark and we desperately need God and we need His light. And here's the good news. Pain, I wish this wasn't true, pain always pushes us to prayer. And since intimacy with God is really all we have, then let's thank God for the pain that reminded us to pray. The things of earth will grow strangely dim as we look upon His beautiful face. In this text, it says that judgment starts right right here with me. Judgment starts with his kids first, right? I'm a lot harder on my children than everybody else's child. It starts right here in the church, in God's household, in his family, in the body of Christ. And so he's asking you, church, first, do you want me more? Do you desire me more? Do you long for me more? Do you crave me more than the rest of this world? He said, wake up. You better get right with God. Commit ourselves to God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. God always cares way more about what's in the heart of his people than the circumstances surrounding his people. Our circumstances and our challenges and even our temptations, they serve a purpose to help us grow in our intimacy with the living God. So let's live different. Let's live always and only for the will of God. Let's be sold out. Let's let's live with reckless abandon, walking in the power the anointing and the authority of God. Father God, thank you for reminding us today that you're our Abba, that you love us like a dad. And sometimes that means you have to discipline us. But I believe that your discipline is the purest form of love. And your love covers over a multitude of our sins. You take us in and you clean us and you wash us. You purify our hearts and you let us know, hey, 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 it's okay. I've forgiven you. Walk in grace. Get up. Father, we're sorry. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thanks for coming here and reminding us that you understand pain and suffering. And today we we want to look at our pain and suffering in a new way. We want to recognize that that pain and suffering is to draw us to the heart of God. We were drawn to the heart of our creator. So God, we just want you to know today we love you. We love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help keep us from evil in these wicked days. And if it is the last day, 
May we live with an urgency, with an expectation that you're going to do a miracle through us. Let's not live as if you're not inside of us. May we be a representation of you. May we reflect the image of God. Father, we praise your holy name for our suffering because it helps us remember who we are and what we're becoming. And so, Father, thank you today for reminding us that we're on mission, that you have a purpose with us, no matter how bad we've blown it. We trust you, and we want to do good. We want to live by the power of your Spirit to bring heaven to earth. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Let's go.